Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul writes this, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And so we want to turn to this uh, final item of clothing uh, in this series that we've been looking at together. And this final item is charity or uh, love, it could be translated. Above all these things, he says, put on charity, put on this love which is the, the bond of perfectness. And uh, you'll know, uh, of course, if you watch sport and you see sports stadiums, uh, there's lots of different types of cameras uh, that are put around uh, the sports arena, isn't there? There's pitch side cameras, cameras that are in the stands, cameras behind the goal, uh, and so on. And each one provides a different uh, angle and uh, perspective of the action. And today, one of the popular cameras is the spider camera, you know, the one that's suspended uh, via different cords above the stadium. And it gives a very much more a sort of a broad bird's eye view of the action. And in a sense, that's what I want us uh, to do this evening, have that kind of perspective of this uh, verse tonight, this particular grace of, of love. Love is uh, a grace that's so deep, isn't it? It's so sublime. Uh, one Bible study is really utterly insufficient, isn't it, to deal with this uh, particular subject. So I just want us to take, as it were, a very broad view of this grace this evening and of this verse in particular as we think about uh, love, as we think about charity. And the first thing I want us to uh, bring out uh, about this grace tonight is the source of love, the source of love. We have to, I think, make it very clear at the beginning that love, uh, the love that's mentioned here, the charity that's being spoken of here, is not a natural love. Uh, the world often uh, speaks of love, doesn't it, and writes about love and sings about love. But the love that the world speaks of is a very different uh, love from this love that Paul uh, brings to our attention here. A man by nature does not and cannot display uh, this particular love, this particular grace. By nature, we are not children of love, are we? We're described as children of wrath, as the Apostle tells us. And so man does not display this grace naturally, and we mentioned this before about some of the other graces. This is not a, a natural uh, part of man. But we should note that uh, while man cannot display this grace naturally, he does have the aptitude and he does have the inclination to love. But as we look at mankind, we see that because of sin, because man is corrupt, instead of choosing to love God, instead of fixing his desires on noble things and spiritual things, his love is always directed towards the physical and the natural. Paul explains it in Romans 1.25, doesn't he, that this, uh, this love is manifested in the fact that people worship and serve the creature more than they do the creator. Man is so obsessed, isn't he, infatuated, consumed, we could say, with the physical and physical things. And therefore, in order to wear this, this grace of love, this love must come from an outside source. And, of course, the source of this particular grace is God's. And this is because uh, this love that Paul mentions here, this agape love, is part of the very being and the very nature of God, isn't it? Think about 1 John chapter 4 
and verse 8, that very familiar verse, 1 John 4 and verse 8. John writes, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's his very being. It's his very nature and essence. It's a love that is a pure love, a holy love. It's a, a godly love. Remember what John writes in his Gospel, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He displays this love. And this is where we have to begin tonight. It's, it's fruitless talking about love and discussing love without first considering the source of true love, which is God himself. And his love, it's, a, it's an active love. It's a, it's a dynamic love. It's described, isn't it, as an everlasting love. It's a love that was manifested particularly in the sending forth of his Son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And when we, when we look at Christ, we, we see love, don't we, personified. There's love walking, talking, love wrapped up in flesh and blood. Everything he did was in love. He loved the church, we read, and gave himself for it. Remember what Christ himself said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Christ, of course, in that most stupendous act of love, he laid down his life, didn't he, for his people, and he bore their sin. There's that wonderful hymn by Thomas Kelly, entitled, We Sing the Praise of Him Who Died. And verse 2 says, Inscribed upon the cross we see, in shining letters, God is love. He bears our sins upon the tree. He brings us mercy from Above, when we look at the cross, what do we see? We just see the love of God. All three persons of the Godhead, we see their love displayed there. And friends, this is where we have to begin tonight. God is love. And it's in his love, uh, through his Son, that's, that's, that shines forth. And he's given us this book, hasn't he? Which really is a, it reveals his love and it reveals that loving plan of redemption to us. Someone once described the Bible as God's love letter. And that's what it is, isn't it? His, his letter of love to mankind as to what he's done in his son. And he writes this, this, this book to woo us so that we would come to him and, and love him in return. And, and for us as believers, this love that we're to put on, it, it comes to us by the Holy Spirit. That's how we... Put on this love by the Spirit. We cannot buy this love. We cannot earn this love. It's not something that can be you know, bottled up and sold. Rather, it's the free gift of God's. I cannot instill this love into you. Rather, this, this love is only kindled in the hearts of people by the Holy Ghost. That's why it's included in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22. And right at the top there, love joy, peace, and so on. We also have the words, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and verse 5, where we see that the, this love comes to us by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5, verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us and 
we have here, this is how we receive this love, by the Holy Ghost. And Paul says something very similar in 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse uh, 7. He says here that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as believers, we have this spirit of love. Love is divinely infused uh, into the believer. And so God is the source. And we have to uh, remember this. We have to remember the order. When we love, it's because, as John says, he first loved us. And so there's the the source of this love that Paul encourages us to to put on, but it it leads us on to secondly think of the subjects of this love. Man in his uh, natural, in his fallen condition, loves himself. We're told that expressly, aren't we? You remember uh, in the last days we're told in in, uh, Timothy, men should be lovers of their own selves. Natural love is self-centred, it's self-seeking. It's popular today, isn't it, to take selfies, and that really sums up man's uh, natural love. It's a selfish love. But the love that Paul encourages us to put on here is very different. We have just said that the the Lord is the source of this love, and and because he's the spring of this love, the direction of this love, it flows in, in a vastly different direction. And the subjects of this love, I think we could summarise as being twofold. And firstly and primarily, this is a love that should centre on and should be expressed towards God. The Christian who's born again should have now a love for God. And he should delight in God and cherish the Lord. We joyously embrace him and surrender to him. We love the Father for his pity and for sending his Son into this world. We love Christ for coming and, and securing our atonement on Calvary. We love the Holy Spirit for dwelling within us and sanctifying us and, and uh, helping us to walk the Christian life day by day. And the more that we reflect on God's love, the more that should grieve us that we don't love him enough. He's worthy, isn't he, of all our love. He, he is the most eminent of all objects to love and therefore he deserves our love. As we, we noted earlier, our, our love for him was set in motion by his love first to us. It was because he loved us, as 1 John 4 tells us. But the second area where, we, where our love should then be focused is on our neighbour. And you'll recall that these two things together, the love for God and the love for our neighbour, is how the law is defined. You remember Christ even summarised it that way in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 and following. He says there, doesn't he? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so we're to, we're to have this, this love for, for our neighbour as well. And Paul states this in Romans chapter 13 too. If you uh, turn with me to that passage, Romans 13 and verse um, 8. Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, 
For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And then he begins to list various commandments there in verse 9. And he says at the end of that, he says, uh, And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And he says, verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so this second aspect of love flows from the first. We love God primarily first. That's where our love should be directed. And in flowing from that love, we then love one another. If you just turn back to, um, in Colossians, back to chapter 1 of Colossians and chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 1 and verse 4. The apostle actually commends the, the church in Colossae for their love. He speaks of the, the love which ye have to all the saints. It's the same, same love. You've exercised this love and you've shown it to, to all the saints. They love their fellow believers. And here's a point for us. We must likewise especially love our brothers and sisters in, in the Lord's. We're to show this love particularly, aren't we, to those of the household of faith. In Hebrews 13, it's, it's called a brotherly love. Uh, and there's a question that we could ask ourselves tonight, you know, do we love the people in this church? Do we have a love for one another? Do we have a love for our neighbours within uh, the church family? Do we love the saints? However, we, we mustn't be just restrictive here and think of loving our neighbour as simply loving the saints. And, and it's more than even just, say, loving our relatives or uh, loving our friends. But this love must be extended universally. It's a love to all mankind. The question we could ask ourselves, well, who is my neighbour? Remember that question was even put to the Lord Jesus Christ and he answered that question in Luke chapter 10 with the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in doing so, he shows to us that our, our neighbour includes even our enemies, even those who are hostile towards us. Of course, the, the parable chiefly uh, provides us with a picture of salvation its primary purpose is to reveal Christ's love for sinners. But it also shows to us that we're to love our enemies. We're to love those who hate us and despise us. Remember, Christ said this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and verse 44. He says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And he goes on, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For he says, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? You see, we're to love universally. We're to seek the welfare of, of others, and, and especially, of course, we're to seek their salvation. And we thought a little bit of that, didn't we, when we considered the very first grace, back in uh, verse 12 there, when we thought of bowels of mercies, that we're to have this love for, for people, those who are enemies to us, those who are enemies to Christ, that they would come uh, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul commands us here in Colossians to put on charity, this is what he's directing us to do. Love the Lord and love our neighbour, and we're to do it heartily. We're to do it truthfully. John 
instructs us not to love in words, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we should do this with as much effort even as we love ourselves. Remember what James says, James 2 verse 8, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. It's worth, I think, just saying that as Christians we are to love ourselves. And what I mean by that is to, is to seek the best for ourselves spiritually. You know, when we wish to enjoy God and we wish to know more of God, then we're seeking the best for us. Uh, when the Christian loves himself, it's vastly different from what we were talking about earlier, the sinful uh, man loving himself and promoting himself and seeking to fulfil every uh, base desire and every uh, base whim and, and sort of gratifying himself. That's not the love that the, the Christian has for himself. That's an inordinate love. That's a, a sinful lusting. But rather, when we, when we love God and desire God, in return, we also love ourselves. And we're told to love our neighbour even as we love ourselves. And I think this particularly has two branches, as it were, that we could say, as we think about loving our neighbour. And, and, and it, I think, applies in two particular ways. And the first way is a love for the soul, a love for people's souls. So we're to pray for each other. We're to instruct one another. We're to rebuke one another. We're to exhort one another. We're to warn each other of, of sin as well as comfort and console. You remember uh, what um, uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, in fa- chapter 5, just a few pages over. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and verse 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. He says, this is a way of demonstrating your love for one another, where you're caring for each other, caring for each other's spiritual states, caring for their souls. So that's one branch, as it were, of loving your neighbour, but the other aspect is that this love extends practically towards each other. Practically in terms of bodily needs, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, helping the stranger, caring for the widow and for the fatherless. I think there's a, a very sort of simple example of this in the life of David. If you just turn with me to 2 Samuel and chapter uh, 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17. This is when David was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom's rebellion and he has to leave Jerusalem, and in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse uh, 27, we read of four men who they saw the great need of David as he was fleeing with nothing. He had to just leave as quickly, didn't he, when he heard Absalom was coming. And out of love, they provided all sorts of practical things in. 2 Samuel 17, verse 27, you have the names of the different people. Verse 28, you have this list of the things that they brought. They brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat. And they, and they did this because the, the people were hungry and they were weary and they were thirsty. And there was a love there for their king. He was in needs, and it was a labour of love. Barzillai there, we forget what age he was, but he was an elderly man when he did this. 
because he loved. He loved David. And we have to challenge ourselves, don't we? Do we have such a love for our king? Do we have such a love for those around us? Do we display a love towards God first and foremost, but do we have a love for our neighbour and do we show this kind of practical love? Do we help people, not just in words, but in deeds and in truth? Paul says to us here in Colossians 3, put on, put on this love, wear this grace. But I want us to think about a third thing this evening and that's the supremacy of this love, the supremacy of this love. You notice what Paul says there in Colossians 3 and verse 14. You notice how he prefaces this grace. This is another, like last week, another grace where he gives us extra details, as it were, about this grace. And he says this in verse 14, and above all these things put on charity. It could be I think, tempted into thinking that because this grace is mentioned last, that it's the least important. However, Paul makes it clear that this grace should have the preeminence. It stands uh, supreme above all the other graces that he's mentioned. And when we think that Paul has been speaking here about various items of clothing that we're to put on, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense for him to mention the most important item last, because when, we, uh, when we're getting dressed in the morning, the last thing that we put on is the thing that everybody sees. It's the thing that everybody notices. We said at the beginning of the, the series that what a person wears can say a lot about that particular character. But we have to say especially that what they wear on the outside says a lot about their personality and their character. Now, we can cover up an old T-shirt, can't we, or a, you know, a threadbare vest with an expensive jumper or coat. And, and, and what is on the outside is predominantly what everybody sees. A soldier's uniform, for example, tells you, doesn't it, what regiment they are in. It also tells you their rank. And the Christian wears these clothes and, and this, the, the jacket, as it were, of the, Christian sh- of the Christian soldier. And that jacket that we wear should be of love. That's what everyone should see, first and foremost, in our lives. And so Paul exhorts us to put on love last, because it's the most supreme, the greatest grace. It's what should be seen by everyone else. The passage that we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 expresses this, doesn't it? It ends by listing three particular graces at the end. It lists faith, hope, charity... And then he says, but the greatest of these is charity. It's supreme among the virtues. And that's why it stands at the top of the list in Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's first. Peter also highlights the supremacy of this virtue. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. He says there in 1 Peter 4, And verse 8, and above all things, same phrase again, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And so love, therefore, is the most distinguishing and it's the most distinct of all the Christian graces. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, didn't he, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
You know, when you see a, a Chelsea pensioner, you know immediately because of the way they dress, don't you? I was driving th- through Thursk um, back in the summer and there was a big group of young people stood on the corner of the street and, you, you know, you're, as I came towards them, I was wondering what they were doing, but as I got closer, I could see they were all scouts. And it was obvious because of the way they were dressed. You could see so clearly who they were. And people should be able to walk past us and because of the, the beautiful garment of love that we should be wearing, they should say, there, there's a Christian. There's someone who knows Christ and loves Christ. Because there's a, a supremacy uh, to this grace. It's why scripture gives so much time to speaking of love. Especially, of course, John, the beloved apostle. He speaks of God's love. He speaks of our reciprocated love to God and our love to one another. And we're encouraged and challenged to put this item on. In Hebrews 10, it tells us that we should provoke one another unto love. We're to encourage each other in this grace. It's a bit like saying to some, you know, one person saying to another person, you know, I like your jumper. Or I like the, you know, the dress that you're wearing. That's what we should do in a sense to one another as we see each other exercising love. We should encourage it. We should encourage people to put this this grace on, provoking one another to love. Especially as we see others displaying this grace in their lives. But I want us to see something else here this evening and that's the security of this love. We've seen... Uh, the source of this love, we've seen the supremacy of this love, um, but here we have the security of love. You notice what Paul says there at the end of verse 14, above all these things he says, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. He says it's a bond, it's like a glue. There's a sense in which this grace uh, secures everything in place and holds everything together. And he says it's the bond of perfectness or perfection. There's a perfection to this grace. And I think this phrase here at the end can mean two things. And I think both are valid. Um, You can decide which one you like best or you could say it's both. I personally think both of them apply here. But the first, I think, way in which you can view this phrase at the end is that that this grace of love binds all the other graces together. It's the glue that holds all the other things that Paul has mentioned uh, before. In a sense, it acts as a belt uh, that holds the other items of clothing in place. Perhaps if we were to use a slightly more scriptural picture, we could liken this grace of love to the rings on the high priest's garments. You remember that passage back in Exodus uh, 39, where we have um, the details concerning the priest's clothing. Um, you'll notice that as he wears this uh, item of clothing, that you have these uh, gold rings uh, that were attached. And uh, the gold rings, you can, as you read the passage there, you can see it in verse 16, particularly in 17. And as you read the passage, you realize that these gold rings were attached to the breastplate. And they were fastened to the shoulder pieces of the, uh, the, the priest wore and also the ephod. And the purpose of these rings was to ensure that the breastplate couldn't be moved and that the shoulder pieces couldn't be moved. It held everything and fastened everything in place 
so that nothing was loose. And you remember that the breastplate with all the precious stones representing each tribe it was there. And it was to make sure they never moved off the chest. And likewise, the, the shoulder pieces, remember, it had all the names of the tribes of Israel. And they were to never move off the shoulders of the priests. The rings held everything, bound everything in place. And I think love is, is pictured as these gold rings, in a sense, binding all the other graces together, holding everything in place. And so love is needed in bowels of mercies there in verse 12. It's needed in kindness and humbleness of mind and so on. Love permeates through all these, these other graces. And that passage that we read back in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you'll see that this is brought out so clearly there. You can go back to 1 Corinthians 13 with me. You just, uh, once you begin to see this, you just, it just begins to pop out at you. He's describing charity, he's describing this love, but then he brings in all these other graces uh, in connection with charity. Take, for example, kindness, which we have in Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. He says, charity is kind. You see the kindness there. Or take humbleness of mind that we have in Colossians 3 and verse 12. And you notice what he says in verse 4. Charity uh, vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. In verse 5 he says, he thinketh no evil. If you remember when we were studying humility, we said it included a high estimation of others. Not thinking evil of other people. Charity permeates that grace of humility. Well, what about meekness? Look at verse 5 in chapter 13. It says here, it does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. There's, there's meekness, seeking not your own. And back in verse 4 it says, envieth not. The meek person doesn't envy. Remember we were thinking of that. What about long-suffering? Look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long. The same expression. Verse 5 is not easily provoked. What about the grace of forbearing one another that we thought about? Look at verse 7. Charity beareth all things. And so love, you see, binds all these graces together that we've been looking at over these past weeks. Love is the, the glue, the bonds, that the belt, as it were, that holds these graces together. But there's another way that we can look at this a phrase here that Paul uses at the end of verse 14, this bond of perfectness. And that is to think of this, this love binding believers together. It keeps the church united. Love is the glue, as it were, that holds the church uh, together. It keeps... Uh, Everybody together, you know, if we are the, the temple of the Lord, if we're each a, a living stone within this great structure, within this great temple, then love is the mortar. Love is the, the cement that holds the, the stones, the bricks together. And Paul speaks of, of love in this way, even in Colossians. Just go back to chapter 2 and verse 2. He speaks there about their, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together together. In love. And so love is the, the bond of perfectness in the church. We are one body. We are fitly joined together. And it's love that joins us. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 3.17 that we're to be rooted and grounded in love. This is what binds us 
isn't it? It's the love of Christ, that love that we sung about, the deep, deep love of Jesus, the love that saved us. This is what binds us together. And when we lose that love, then the fellowship begins to be fractured. And the fellowship begins to become untied, as it were, and unloose. And so Paul encourages us here, put on, therefore, he says, this love above all these things. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Well, may each of us seek by God's grace to put on this love and display this love and show this love. Loving God, who sent his son to die for us, but loving our neighbour, as we, even as we love ourselves.